This is a Federal News Network podcast. President Biden's three nominees for the Merit Systems Protection Board may have the best shot in years at restoring a quorum. The board hasn't had a quorum in nearly five years, and it hasn't had any members at all since 2019. Now, these nominees faced their first test in the Senate confirmation process, and they've got a tough task ahead if they are confirmed. The MSPB has a backlog of more than 3,400 pending petitions for review. The nominees do say they have some ideas for working through it all. Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco went to the hearing, and she's got more. The top leaders on the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee praised the MSPB nominees for their experience, and they lamented the board's historic absences. Kathy Harris is a longtime federal employment attorney. Raymond Limon is the chief human capital officer for the Interior Department. He has federal HR experience at the State Department and Office of Personnel Management. And Tristan Levitt is the general counsel for the MSPB. He's also serving as the agency's acting chief executive and has been for the last several years while the board hasn't had any members. Levitt used to work for Senator Chuck Grassley. Grassley is the chairman of the Senate Whistleblower Protection Caucus. You'll be hard-pressed to find someone with more experience working for good government and accountability. Perhaps most important, Tristan has spent thousands of hours working with hundreds of whistleblowers who risk their livelihoods to try to make the government work the way it's supposed to. Most whistleblowers are nothing but patriotic Americans. He listened to their stories. He's worked hard to make sure that their claims were investigated fairly. But the nominee is still face a long and arduous Senate confirmation process. And it's one that's failed previous board nominees and prolonged historic absences of the board in the past. Gary Peters is the chairman of the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee. Prolonged vacancies on the board slow the administration of justice. And for years, vacancies on the MSPB have prevented federal employees from obtaining relief from prohibited personnel practices. If the three nominees before us today are confirmed, the MSPB will have a quorum for the first time in nearly five years. A crucial step towards preserving the rights of federal employees and protecting whistleblowers from retaliation. I'm very pleased that we're moving one step closer to a fully functioning Merit Systems Protection Board, and I look forward to hearing from each of the nominees uh, here today. Wednesday's nomination hearing, though, is just the first step. The same Senate committee met over three years ago to consider MSPB nominees from former President Trump. None made it through the Senate confirmation process. The MSPB is one of several agencies that's supposed to uphold and safeguard merit system principles inside the federal workforce. Ray Limon is the president's nominee to be the MSPB vice chairman. He says without a fully functioning board, federal employees lose sight of the institutions that are supposed to protect them. Yes, there are wonderful employees currently working very hard at the MSPB, but not having the quorum, not having that leadership, people are going to think, you know, we're not at full strength. And truth be told, it's not at full strength. The MSPB has a backlog of over 3,400 pending petitions for review that are awaiting action from confirmed board members. To address the backlog, Harris says she would first meet with the MSPB staff, who have their own ideas and potential strategies for tackling the workload. Then she and the board members would agree to a triage strategy. 
The board could, for example, tackle the oldest cases first. Or they could prioritize whistleblower retaliation cases or cases involving terminations or stay requests that the Office of Special Counsel can't bring to the board. Here's Harris. I would also recommend bringing back what in my practice we knew as the board's short-form decision. The short-form decision is similar to when a federal court appeals court affirms or denies or remands the underlying decision without a lengthy explanation of the reasons for the decision. There are many cases for which that would be perfectly appropriate. For example, if they're clearly untimely or there's a lack of jurisdiction or the administrative judge's opinion is really well reasoned and well stated and there's nothing more to add. So I think for for those cases, it will really expedite the process. Harris also says the board could start to reprioritize alternative dispute resolution. These parties have been waiting around for four, sometimes five years to get decisions, and circumstances have changed. Maybe appellants have moved on to other jobs or, you know, they've left the agency. The management has changed. So we always think of that as a good opportunity to discuss settlement again. The board has an excellent settlement program with, I believe, I've read over 50 percent success rate in resolving cases. So if we can put attention and time into ADR for these cases, perhaps we can reduce the backlog by as much as 50 percent. Tristan Levitt is the president's nominee to be an MSPB member. Fundamentally, in the past, the board has decided about a thousand cases a year, but that's all there were to decide. So it's really not entirely clear what, what a sustainable pace will be. But no matter what it is, I think just putting in the work and uh, working our hardest, putting in the time really will make a difference. I completely agree on the short order. Those short form orders have not been used for about the last 10 years or so, but they were for the 30 years of MSPB's history before that. And I think that'll be very helpful. On top of that, the the only other thing that I would add is that MSPB has not historically had a, a really robust practice of the board members actually meeting together to talk through cases. And I really think there's a, an opportunity there to make a lot of headway and save a lot of time in deciding cases that way. Senator Rob Portman is the ranking member of the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee. He says the board is important and the Senate needs to restore a quorum there. But he and Republican Senator Josh Hawley raised some questions about some of Harris's past social media posts. It's been a popular topic for Republicans in the nomination process this year, and it's doomed or delayed some of the nominees in the past. Here's Portman. And my question to you is, in light of those partisan statements and the approach that you have taken in the past, I'd like to know how can people in the federal system feel comfortable that they're going to be fairly heard and fairly treated? And here's Harris. You know, I've represented Democrats, Republicans, people who have no idea what their party is. I represented federal agencies under, I think, every administration for the past 20 years. And my personal opinions, I'm very well practiced at putting them aside and advocating for my clients in the most zealous manner that I can, you know, for their benefit. If you asked my clients, the MSPB, AJs, administrative judges before whom I practiced, federal court judges, my opposing counsel, they would tell you that I'm fair, I'm objective, and I do my best. Harris also says she regrets some of the tweets and that they're not representative of how she operates now as a lawyer. I certainly want to do better going forward, and I will do better for it. I I mean, as I said, I, I probably will never use Twitter again anyway, but 
I won't be tweeting personal opinions like that going forward. So I hope that reassures you, Senator. I'm really committed to doing this job well, and I believe doing it well means to do it according to the rule of law. Nicola Grisco, Federal News Network. Check out Nicole's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me, and I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day, and I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop 
and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. 
Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.